Scott Burnside back for another edition of Two Man Advantage the podcast. And actually, today I have the charter member back with me, Pierre Lebrun. Did you get any sleep at all after? I had like I know the game ended. You know, sort of. It was still evening time, but it felt like it lasted an entire day. Columbus and Tampa into the fifth overtime. Uh, did you get some sleep? I, I found it hard to unwind after watching it. Yeah, that was unbelievable. Honest to goodness, and I. You know, I, I kept staying in touch with some NHL officials to find out what the heck are you guys going to do if this game keeps going on. And finally, you know, we got word uh, after the fourth overtime that poor Boston and Carolina had to <laughs> had to play at 11 a.m. on Wednesday, and it stinks for them. I mean, you think about having your game day preparation and then having to go back to your hotel and uh, and have an 11 a.m. game. That is just crazy. But that was fun. That was fun yesterday. I know. Well, and now I'm, I'm so excited uh, for our guest who knows very well the Columbus Blue Jackets from his time there as the team president. And there's so much going on with John Davidson and his New York Rangers. Uh, a ton of things have unfolded in the last week or so. But, John, maybe we can just start with you. A, thanks for coming to hang out with Pierre and I. But what, I wonder what did you watch all of that yesterday and maybe what it was like for you, given your connection to uh, a team you were president of for almost seven years Uh, yeah hi guys great being on with you it was um it was a great time actually i had a great time in st louis when i was there for seven years and it was fantastic in columbus about the same amount of time and um i'm just glad that last night's game didn't start at eight (laughs) (laughs) o'clock otherwise i would have had an issue but uh, yeah i watched every minute of it um i really like the columbus blue jackets hockey club it's a team that's uh, we we've never tanked once when we uh, when we played the the rebuild card trying to get better the highest pick or best number pick we ever had was was the Pierre uh, Luc Dubois pick and uh, that didn't really work out though and, and <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll never forget I'll never forget when we made the pick in I think it was Buffalo right yeah, to yeah. Pierre and. Uh, when we made the pick, the whole building just gasped. And it's like the, the air went out, and then everybody, you could just hear everybody mumbling and talking. Yeah. That was my remembrance of it being up on the stage. But he's a, he's becoming a bull of a hockey player, and he's a good man, and he's he's worked his way, and it's worked out for Columbus. They have a they have a team that, uh, you know, last season, they, they had more main ga- man games lost due to injury than anybody, yet we're right in the race all year long because they know how to play the game. And uh, there's some good talent there. There's some very good young talent. There's very, very good top four on the back end. The two goalies they had played pretty well all season. Corpy last night was outstanding. He was part of the uh, the minor league team in, in Cleveland that won the championship of the American League. He and Anton Forsberg were the two goalies. So to see uh, Corpus Allo play well like that, I'm happy for him. I've seen him work all the way through. And uh, and uh, Manny Legacy, the goalie coach, has done a terrific job with the goaltenders there. Well, J.D., you mentioned that draft with Pierre-Luc Dubois. I think what I remember is uh, GM Yarmo Kekalin and just getting it from the Finnish media <laughs> after not taking Jesse Bulliarvi. But I think Yarmo can live with that moment now. Uh, but you have your own draft coming here with the New York Rangers. A lot of excitement after uh, winning phase two of the lottery on Monday, what was that like to sit through that? And, and let's face it, there's not much you can do other than stare at the screen and cross your fingers. But what was that like for you? Yeah, it was, 
It was uh, used. A, I used a little bit of superstition. I we were in the office most of the day, and we had the police shield from uh, Officer Stephen McDonald, who had um, who had been shot years ago and ended up passing away not too long ago. Big, 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 giant Rangers fan, and uh, Jeff Gorton used it last year as a good luck piece, and the team moved up and picked number two, and then this year it sat on my desk all day long, and then. I went home and Jeff Gordon took it into the conference room where he did the Zoom for the call to see who was going to get the prize. And sure enough, it worked again. Now at home, I had the, my, went to my good luck chair. I sat there. And then when it came on, when the, when the pin, uh, the balls started going up and down, I looked away. I couldn't look. I just couldn't look. And then all of a sudden, my wife, who was sitting there, started to scream. I went, holy, you can't be serious. And, uh, and boom, there it was, New York Rangers. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I'm not speechless very often, as you know, but I was speechless. I didn't know what to say, and it was an emotional thing. I think it's, it's, it's good for us. It's good for hockey in New York. It's good for hockey. If we do this right and build the team the way we want to, he's going to be uh, our number one pick will be a big part of this thing. Wow. John, it, it just strikes me that that if you think back to the last week or 10 days or even from the moment the Rangers arrived in the bubble and, and obviously a disappointing play in series against Carolina, you yeah. lose three straight. And I wonder what that like what that transition is like from, you know, trying to unpack what happened in that series to all of a sudden. You know, you're right. You're you're talking about a potential generational talent in a guy like Alexis Lafreniere, and maybe how how, how do you you know sort of yeah. unpack all that happens in the space of a week or ten? Yeah, days? that that was it was remarkable. The best way to look at it is, you tell me what's normal anywhere right now. There just isn't. Right. The whole world's not normal. Nothing's normal. Period. So when we went up there, as I said to to our group and also to uh, members of the media here in New York, I didn't know what to expect. I just didn't know because it was just, it's different. Um, I credit the league and the work that they did to put this thing together. I mean, the, the massive work that they've done, I can speak on behalf of the Toronto bubble. It was, it was outstanding. And, uh, and then for us to not play well, when I, when I look at it, what I tried to do was take the positives out of it. Uh, we had some young people like Brett Howden and Capo uh, Capo. The young guys played very, very well for us. Um, the, the veteran players, the better players, didn't have a great three games. Um, I also know that uh, when we had our camp, Keandre Miller, who's a big strapping defenseman and played at Wisconsin, uh, he came here to that camp, and we knew that he couldn't play in the tournament. But uh, he was here at camp, and he was outstanding. And that really was something that was good for him and good for us to know. So we, we picked that up as a positive. We also know that going into game one, we had Lemieux suspended, who was a good third-line player. He played very well in game three when he got back. We had uh, D'Angelo playing with a hamstring injury before the tournament. We had Shesterkin sitting out the first two games at goalie because of a, a, a groin injury. And there was one other one I can't remember right now, but there was four guys out of your, oh, uh, Jesper Fast, we call him Quickie. He was injured in the first couple of minutes of game one. So it was like, man, we got hit right over the head here. But then when you, when you, when you get home, we went right into the office the next day and had a multitude of meetings and discussions. And I call them BS sessions, sitting in the conference room going over everything. 
And we decided that that was the first day of the next season. And let's pick positives out of this thing because we expect the, the really good players to play well for us, like they had been playing. So uh, we, we took positives out of it, even though it was a very different experience. And then you sit and wait for the, uh, for the lottery, the number one pick. And, uh, and I don't know. I, I have uh, people upstairs that I know pretty well. And my mom and dad and others had to be smiling on us because <laughs> for us to win that, it's pretty interesting. Well, and I have to say, GD, I'm not a huge fan of the way the lottery was played out in two parts. And I think had the ping pong ball gone to a couple other teams in that group, it would have been a lot of backlash. But I do think the Rangers winning it is in the spirit of the draft, in the yeah. sense that you guys are still in a rebuild. You're a young team. You're 11th in the East. You would not have made the playoffs had the pandemic not hit. Um, and so I think from that perspective, you know, those stars did align. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, I don't, I don't, I know that you don't care about any of that, but but it is, it's not like, you know, the big market Rangers get rich again. I mean, you guys went into a full rebuild, and now you get a really important piece here. Yeah. And, we, and we tried to do the rebuild the right way. Um, and I will say, sometimes when I was in St. Louis or I was in Columbus, I'd sit there and go, you know, geez, maybe we should have tanked. Maybe we should have gotten the number one or two pick instead of the best in seven years in St. Louis was four. And again, it was uh, Petrangelo during my time there. And uh, and Alex became a great player, just a great player. And thankfully mm -hmm. for them, they went on and won a cup, which was very deserving. That city's a great sports city, um, great tradition. There's got to be 60, at least 60 alumni that live in St. Louis, just love the city. And they're, uh, they're loved back by the people there. It's pretty interesting. And then in, in Columbus, it's they've had a frustrating time with the franchise there, but it's it's very uh, stable now. It's a great ownership, very very uh, in, in intelligent ownership who who have decent patience and would trust you going through the build that you had to go through. And then uh, people thought I probably was half nuts bringing Jarmo Kekalainen in to be the general manager, and knowing he came over from Finland. But when you analyze the whole thing. He's a guy that had lived over here for almost two decades, scouting, living in the uh, Detroit area so he could scout all over the place. When he didn't get the job in St. Louis, he had worked for us in St. Louis. When he didn't get the GM job there, Doug Armstrong did, he decided to uh, move back to Finland and he ran the Jokerit team and he learned everything. He even learned more than just scouting. He learned about business and with the organizations, all this stuff. And so he was very, very ready when uh, when we brought him into into Columbus. And for me and the staff they've put together, he's done a great job, a great job for that group. So I, I'm very proud of how things have gone in both St. Louis and Columbus. And and now with the group we have here, we have Jeff Gorton, the GM, and we have Chris Drury, the assistant general manager. And, uh, boy, they, they work. And uh, we've got some good things going, and we had some lady luck on our side. So this is going to be very interesting. Well, I think, you know, John, that one of the things when you look at uh, something like this happening and, and you have the first overall pick, do you have to, do you and Jeff and Chris and, and the management team have to take care not to, you know, sort of get out of your your planning lane, that you don't yeah. try and accelerate things, that you don't try and say, let's, you know, let's take a bigger bite next year. I mean, you already had the experience of, of a playoff round against Carolina that maybe you wouldn't have had and the experience yeah. for those young players. But do you have to stay, take a step back and say, wait a minute, let's not, 
let's not go crazy or how do you approach something yeah, there's like that? the there's the there's the old saying and it's a cliche that you have to learn to walk before you learn how to run and when you learn how to walk uh, you fall down sometimes uh just doing it a couple of times with my resume i i know how frustrating people get all around you when when things seem to be tedious at times but you've got to keep your sense i, I remember holding uh season ticket town halls in St. Louis and the fans, great fans asking, boy, can you trade and maybe trade away a second rounder and get somebody in here just to help us a little bit? And I'm saying, well, you know, if the right deal came along, we'd sure look at it. But the reality is you can't just do that if you want to build a team that's going to be good for a long time. And it takes piece by piece by piece to be able to do that. It takes some patience. I, I remember, um, uh, the year in, in uh, Columbus when we started the season on a bad note, I think it was 0-8 or something, and that's when we brought John Tortorella in, and and um, uh, Richie was was uh, was let go, and he's now a coach in uh, in Tampa with their club, Brad Rich or uh, Richie, yeah, and uh, Todd Richards, and uh, just a wonderful guy too. But our ownership basically said, "Listen, keep stay with it, be be." Be smart, be prudent, do things right. Torts came in, and uh, he he really is a good coach. He helped change the culture there for sure. And uh, the patience level paid off. It paid off in St. Louis. It's paid off in Columbus. And that's the only way you can do it. I think you'll see something like that in a, in a, in, a, in a very strong way with Steve Eiserman in Detroit. He's He's got a game plan, and he's very, very solidly sticking to it. We have to do the same thing. Well, he wishes he had your pick, I bet, but uh, <laughs> but uh, that's another story. Uh, it, it's funny, after you guys won the lottery, J.D., uh, there were Rangers fans, I noticed, on social media that immediately pondered the possibility of moving down the two because you they, they, they feel you need a center more than a winger. I'll, I'll let you tackle that if you want, <laughs> the possibility of that. Well, yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's a great question. There's a lot of general managers in the New York area that wear ranger jerseys um they every you know it, it's it's interesting all this stuff when you sit there and you and you uh you're going to get the number one pick it opens up a whole lot of different thoughts and ideas and you know i think i think most teams and when they get the number one pick it's generally a player that that's a very very good player and so you don't mess with it at all but it but it opens up the avenue to do other things throughout your organization so it's something that we always We'll we'll look at and uh, and analyze and try to figure out. We have another pick in the first round. Um, I, I remember the the Patrick Kane uh, draft. Dale Talon with Chicago took Patrick number one, and uh, there was a number of offers, including one from us that was pretty darn good. But there's no chance that he was going to change. And uh, when you look back at it, Dale was very very smart in doing exactly what he did, and he took the number one pick, and Patrick Kane. As you know, as a future Hall of Famer for sure. So it's it's always interesting. It opens up options all throughout your lineup. So we'll see where it all goes. Yeah, John, we're, we'll let you go in a, in a moment or two. But uh, obviously, one of the questions that um, you guys as an organization have to be wrestling with and dealing with uh, is is what's going to happen with your goaltending. I, I know from some of your comments to the New York media that you had a conversation with Henrik Lundqvist after you returned from the Toronto bubble. And I wonder what, you know, especially as a, as a longtime NHL goaltender and a longtime executive, just 
what the dynamics are like when you try and sort through the business end of things and how to make this Ranger team the best it can be moving forward and paying the respect that a guy like Henrik Lundqvist, who is in my mind as well, a future hall of famer that he so richly deserves. What's that, what's that balancing act like? It's, it's, it's it's reality in life. You have to deal with it. There's no question. Sometimes, um, when you're dealing with with business as is, it's not a lot of fun. But you try to do things with with respect to every avenue of the of the business. And, and these these people are human beings. All of us are. Uh, as a player, I was a goalie, but I retired at 27 because my knees and back were shot, and uh, I had to move on and got very lucky in television and other things. So it's it's been a good life for me. I think with uh, with Hank's situation, we the two of us sat down. We had a great chat. Uh, it was a personal chat, which I'll, I'll keep in house. But we're going to take our time, and so is he, and figure out what avenue is the best for for both parties um, uh, going down. Uh, we have three goalies here, including Hank Georgiev and, and Shosturkin. We we know we can't carry three next year. It's just not a healthy situation. So we have to make some decisions, and we have to make decisions that are proper for for uh, the people involved. Henrik Lundqvist is a this is one classy individual. This is a guy that's had one wonderful career, but we have to figure out what avenue both sides need to take to to do what's best for everybody involved. That sounds rather rather um, generic, but it's truthful. So we're not there anywhere near yet. Uh, Don Meehan is the agent for uh, for Hank, and uh, he's a good man. So we're, we're all going to get together and figure this thing out. Yeah. Well, it's uh, you you could hardly find a more professional and classy individual than Henrik Lundqvist. And I, and yeah. there's no way to, to understate how important he's been to that franchise. And I'm, I'm sure I, I'm, it will be fascinating to see how you work through it. But, uh, and, yeah. and I, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to freeze Pierre out, but I'm going to bring <laughs> this, I'm going to bring this interview to a close though, because I wanted to ask you something. I was talking to Pierre about this and he was telling me that his first year as an analyst on uh, hockey night in Canada and the hot stove one of the great, one of the great hockey panel shows of all time. I'm, I sound like Eddie Haskell. But was your <laughs> last year? And so I, I wonder when you when you had that year where you were working alongside Pierre. Would you do you ever think? I wonder what will become of Pierre LeBrun. Did you see anything in him that year <laughs> oh, that indicated he might actually have a future? So, oh come on, no, I want to uh, know. He, he could BS the wheels off a of greyhound. So, <laughs> so I knew there was something good there. <laughs> I like to say to people, I was so bad on my first year on Hot Stove that JD had to quit. <laughs> I remember my first, uh, my very first interview I ever did, I did with Bill Torrey, the late Bill Torrey. What a wonderful guy. And he was sitting there and we had one microphone. I was holding it and I was interviewing him and I put the mic in front of his face for the answer and I think I chipped his teeth. I was so nervous. My hand was shaking so bad. I almost had to use my other hand to grab the right hand to, to stop the mic from from shaking and bill bill was a champ he hung in there with me and then after we laughed our tails off the one thing about uh scotty about pierre is and it's the same in any part of the world of business if you work you give yourself a chance and uh, pierre like yourself and others work work make the calls get the information and then you then you get yourself um, a, a standard that's uh, very high and then people start believing in what you're doing 
And then you have to have fun with it, too. We have to have fun. I used to have fun with Red Fisher. Oh, yeah. He used to rip me, and I'd rip him back. We had a, we had a lot of fun. That was, that was something I looked forward to every Saturday. That was a great time. Oh, that was, that was a wonderful year that we overlapped, J.D., and I used to be so nervous phoning you and asking you what you want to talk about. I was like, you know, this guy is probably thinking, why is this kid bothering me right now? But no, God, it no. It was good. No, no. We're it's a long time ago it now. Was okay. It was a blast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's true, but it's still, you know, it just tells you there's a, the world of hockey has a big, huge umbrella that we're all under, whether you're writers or broadcasters or players or trainers or coaches or whatever, and there's so many good people that it's just, uh, it's been such a wonderful life. It really has. Uh, good stuff. Well, John, that's a perfect segue. It's a perfect way for us to thank you for joining us and wish you all the best. It's going to be a crazy rest of the yeah. off season and into next year, but uh, thank you for coming to hang in with uh, with Pierre and I. It's been a uh, real treat. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, guys. Uh, stay safe, everybody. Stay yeah. safe. Do your part. We'll get through this thing. Sounds good. Thanks, JD. Okay. Thank you. Now I know Pierre, you'll be angry that I brought they brought up your you know your rookie season on Hockey Night, but I I thought John handled that very well. But uh, it, it was it was great to catch up with him. We're gonna go to a break. And I'll ask you how, uh, what you think of what's going to happen moving forward with that Ranger team. So don't go away because we'll be right back. Support for Two Man Advantage is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And big news, Manscaped just launched in Canada. For those listeners in Canada, you can be one of the first Canadians to experience their life-changing products. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and have their new and improved lawnmower 3.0. So, get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC20. You know what? It, it I, I I'm so glad that John was able to join us, Pierre, because he's you know he's not afraid to talk about you know his experiences in St. Louis or Columbus or different players, and I just he has such a an incredible knowledge of the game that uh, it's always a treat to catch up with him. And I, I I you know that's a pretty incredible two week span for that New York Ranger team to go from being swept by the Canes to getting the number one pick. How close are they? Do you think are, are they, you know, how close with Alexis Lafreniere do you think this team is to, you know, to being, you know, a perennial contender? Well, first of all, let me mention that I gave, you know, JD every opportunity alive to slam door the, the, the mere idea of trading the first pick. And he did not. Yeah. <laughs> now I think that's just wisdom there that, you know, he kind of hinted, I think, at the idea that, you know, Chicago never traded the pick, the first overall pick when they took Patrick Kane. I think his his hint there is come and knock our socks off, but the likelihood is we would never do that. But you never want to close any avenue. You never know. A team might lose its mind, right? Um, so I think that's really what the answer was there. Um, 
You know, I, I, I think there, there are still holes in that lineup. Uh, I love the direction they're going in, but I think that those holes were, were really exposed against uh, Carolina. But that's okay. They're, they are in a rebuild. Um, getting this kind of piece, and Alexis Lafreniere, yeah, he's a winger, not a center. But boy, oh boy, um, you know, the kind of firepower they already have up front with Savannah Jad and, and Panarin. I mean, that's... Boy, they got... Uh, they're not going to have trouble scoring goals but you you ask the pertinent question and it's how are they going to untangle the three goalie conundrum and you know I don't know that JD tipped his hand to us but it seems hard to believe that Lundqvist will be back right don't you think I mean I, I don't I want to be careful not to read too much in between the lines of John Davidson's answer there but I feel like when you have that kind of very personal meeting that he was talking about, that's probably the path that uh, that this is all headed here. Well, and, and I mean, the reality is, and, and I, I want to circle back to this with you as we get to into the latter stages of this podcast, but there are a lot of teams that are going to have some very, very difficult decisions to 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 sort through in terms of their roster and, their and the frozen cap because we know yeah. the salary yep the frozen cap and Henrik Lundqvist is under contract for 8.5 million dollars in the uh, the 2021 season that's his final the final year of his contract and I, I don't see any way on, on, from a, a, a cap end of things that you can have a goaltender who's going to play maybe a third of your games making 8.5 million dollars in a frozen cap world mm-hmm. especially when you've got you know other issues he's got a bunch of rfas um d'angelo on the back end uh, he's got players jeff gordon the gm and that organization have they have a lot of decisions to to make and i don't know that you can have an 8.5 million dollar goaltender who is your backup and that's that's where henrik lundquist is now mm-hmm. and i think the question is if if that's the case if there is a buyout uh, you know, is there another place for Henrik Lundqvist in the NHL, or do we see him transition more or less seamlessly into some sort of role with that organization? It's so hard to imagine him anywhere else. But we did see Marty Berdur go briefly to St. Louis, and be, you know, before circling back in an executive role in New Jersey. Yeah. So I, I don't know what. Yeah, yeah I mean, listen, uh, Henrik Lundqvist holds a lot of the cards with with his clauses, and and uh, you know, very powerful agent that. Interestingly, John Davidson took the point of mentioning and Don Meehan. So I think the Rangers yes. want to play this carefully and, and do the right thing here. Again, because of the respect they have for this franchise player, but also because they know they have to make sure that, that this is all played out the right way. So here's what I would say. I, I think if I'm Don Meehan and Henrik Lundqvist, I sit back and see what happens in the playoffs here. Because the playoffs have a way of changing the path of many organizations, right? And so I'll just give you an example. Again, I'm, this is not a, a rumor. This is not anything. This is not real God. This is nothing. This is just me making an example. What if Colorado were knocked out in the first round of the playoffs? I don't see it happening myself, but let's say it happened. And that a lot of it is, whoa, boy, is Grubauer the guy or not? I'm just saying, like, for one year, do the Avs take a stab at Henrik Lundqvist? Or do they go elsewhere? Now, I think the reality is, I actually think Philip Grubauer is the real deal. And I think he's going to be a very good goalie for them for many years. But I'm just giving you an example of, if you're Henrik Lundqvist right now and Don Meehan, why make any decision right now? Let's let the playoffs, you know, play themselves out. 
and see if there are any options that would interest him. And if not, then then maybe there's another decision to make there. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, all right, we're going to take another break. Uh, and when we come back, you and I are going to talk uh, some changes in Florida. I'm going to ask you about what you think the trade market will look like uh, this off season as we move along. I'm going to ask you about... Oh, how you feel, how you feel about uh, what we're seeing as we just edge our way into the first round. Uh, but first, this message from Indochino. Pierre, I, I, you raise a great point about you know what the, what you do if you're the Rangers and you're Henrik Lundqvist and how the landscape may change um, pretty dramatically between now and, and early October when we, you know, again, fingers crossed, we hope to see a Stanley Cup champion crowned in uh, in the bubble city of Edmonton uh, but it, the, the landscape continues to shift almost daily now as teams are eliminated from the play-in round now we've you know we've gone from 24 to eight teams in the in the uh, that were involved in the competition in Edmonton Toronto and it didn't take long as as it was first reported that was going to happen, and it did that Dale Talon and the Florida Panthers uh, parting ways, uh, Dale's contract not being renewed, and, and the Panthers moving on. Uh, are we going to see, do you think, you know, is this the kind of thing we're going to see now as as we move along through this process, and we do it, do we do see it during a normal playoff year, and this is anything but normal, but this is maybe the normal course of business as teams take stock from what happens when they're eliminated and really try and plot a, a path for the future. And, and maybe, you know, definitely no question that Panther team still not nearly competitive given the talent that they have. No. And I, you know, at the end of the day, and, and you know, Dale Talon has a keen eye for talent showed that in his time in Chicago as well. But at the end of the day, he had 10 years in, in Florida and they only made the playoffs twice. And some of that is on him. Some of that is some of the wacky things that happened <laughs> You know, with the franchise, there's all kinds of reasons. But at the end of the day, that was a pretty healthy crack at it. And, and the team really needed to break through this year, especially after the offseason in which they splurge on Joel Quenville, they, splur- they splurge on Sergei Bobrovsky. Um, uh, you know, so it, I, I don't know that anyone will feel that, uh, that Dale Town didn't get a fair shake. It'd be interesting now to see who they hired, as I reported uh, via Twitter on, um, on Tuesday. The Montreal Canadiens have given the Florida Panthers permission to speak with assistant GM Scott Mellenby. And, of course, uh, Scott Mellenby holding a special place in the hearts of Panthers fans, right, from the original Panthers team. And uh, I believe he scored the first goal in franchise history, actually, if if I'm right or wrong on that. But uh, the whole, you know, rat thing and um, all that lore. So, you know, he'd be an interesting candidate and and a guy that might be ready – Scott, you know, Scott Mellenby went through the GM interview process with Vegas, with Edmonton, and with Minnesota most recently. Uh, obviously, didn't get any of those jobs, but, you know, my experience is that those guys tend to have to go through the interview process a number of times before they finally get the gig, right? I mean, you look at how many times Bill Guerin went through the process before he got it in Minnesota. You know, uh, similar for Tom Fitzgerald before he got it in New Jersey. So I feel like Scott Mellenby... Um, could be on that track. But having said that, I think that Panthers president, uh, Matt Caldwell, is planning on, on interviewing a number of, of different uh, uh, candidates. Uh, I know I heard from one source the other day, and I haven't been able to confirm this, so take it with a grain of salt at this point. But it would make sense. I heard that there might be interest in talking to Ron Hextall as well. And, and why not? Um, because 
as much as Chuck Fletcher has had unbelievable touches since the day he got to Philly and when you look at that Flyers team obviously there's a lot of uh, pieces there that are from Ron Hextall's time there and so I think Ron Hextall's stock uh, continues to rise uh, with the rise of the Flyers yeah, I, I'm curious what you think of because uh, the reaction to to being eliminated from the play-in rounds has been it's been sort of wide widely varied. I, I'm curious to see how the Leafs respond. I think Kyle, Kyle Dubas, the GM, is is going to do a media thing. It might be happening now as we're taping this, but uh, we heard from Jim Rutherford in in Pittsburgh. Uh, he, he was not happy. Uh, a GM who's <laughs> I was going to say he did not pull any punches about you know the desire to change and that I, like honestly of the of all the playing rounds I still that's the one I still can't really get my head around and not that Montreal beat Pittsburgh in in four games and that I mean that's pretty shocking but it, to me in the manner in which the Penguins went down for the second straight year you know after being swept by the Islanders in a really you know just a grisly performance for them a year ago. I thought that they had really turned a corner in terms of their identity and the way they approached things under Mike Sullivan. Mm-hmm. And man, they just, there was so little urgency, even when their backs were against the wall. And But Jim Rutherford made it very clear that he expects um, that there are changes that need to be made. In Edmonton, I got the sense that, you know, yes, they were disappointed at losing to Chicago, another, you know, fifth seed, losing to a 12th seed. But my sense from, Kenny Holland from afar is it you know they, they that Oiler team is still in its formative stages they still got things they need to work on but maybe not as dramatic I, I wonder how you unpack how some of the favorites who were dismissed from the playing round are, are at least taking these first steps of you know unpacking what happened to them in, in not you know and being ousted from the competition mm-hmm. well it is disappointing in Edmonton but Ken Holland's you know, a guy who's been around and knows not to overreact. Having said that, I think the Oilers need to fix their goaltending. I mean, I think that has to be priority number one for Ken Hall, and if at all possible in this wacky offseason that we're going to have in the fall is to see what his options are there. In my opinion, there's still a top-heavy team, two of the, obviously, the best player in the world, and, and then the guy who's going to win the Hart Trophy. But then, you know, it thins out, and so they have to continue to work on their depth there, and some of that will come from within, uh, from from the way they've built up the organization the last few years, but again, if there's opportunities to to add depth there, that that's important too. But it's a much bigger deal in Pittsburgh to have lost, and Jim Rutherford never holds back. I respect him so much for his candor in those moments. Um, and so there will be changes in Pittsburgh, but you know, it, it's kind of an interesting thing. Like I feel like in a way, the Penguins made it a self fulfilling prophecy, as you know, Scotty. The Penguins were not enamored. Uh, internally when they found out through the rumor mill that the possibility was in a format that they would play Montreal in a best of five. And I remember thinking, man, you were 15 points ahead of them. Why are you so worried? Well, we know why, because they were worried about number 31. And boy, did that come out to play. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it, actually, so here's you talk about changes, and literally, as you and I were having this chat, and maybe you haven't looked, but I, I was just looking. The Penguins actually have just announced, so we're sort of, you know, we're right on top of this. They've uh, they've announced that they will make dramatic changes to their coaching staff, uh, and it looks like Mike Sullivan will return, but they will not renew the contracts of Sergei Gonchar, Jacques Martin, and Mark Recchi. So, you know, yeah, the first foot 
or the first shoe rather really to to fall and and really following on the heels of what Jim Rutherford was mm-hmm. talking about about having having to make change and and you're right I mean this is you know it's um, that's a team that is in it to win it every year and you have to be when you have that core at Sidney Crosby of Genny Malka and Chris Letang and even Sidney Crosby sort of mentioned I think he was asked you know is the window closing on this team and and you know I think you know Sidney was you know, he's quite honest all, you know, when talking about, well, time, you know, time does pass, right? And so let me ask you, I, I, like, how urgent is it now in Pittsburgh when you have those sort of aging superstars? I mean, aging is a relative thing, but, you know, you have a core of superstars that have won three Stanley Cups, but there has to be urgency to take advantage of those players while there's still um, elite players in your, in your organization. Yeah, the, listen, they've already done an amazing job. Man, we've talked about this so often over the past few years. They've already done an amazing job. Like, I think people forget when Jim Rutherford was hired that I think a lot of people looked at the Penguins then and said, you, you know, you guys need to blow this up and retool it around 87 and 71. Um, but they didn't. They, I mean, they did retool it, but they, but they, it was not so much a, a retool as much as making the necessary changes to, to, to remain competitive. And boy, what a job by Jim Rutherford during that time. But, I, you know, I talked to another team about this actually this morning, and eventually you just you do run out of time. You run out of bullpen arms. <laughs> like, like you can't... It, yeah. it, it, the salary cap system and the rules... It's just not meant to be that you can do this forever. And so I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's going to be harder this time to do the old 2.0, 3.0. Um, you know, Crosby and Malkin remain amazing players, but, you know, um, getting up there in age. I think Crosby with his, you know, the way that he handles himself and takes care of himself, I think he's going to play till he's 40 if he wants to. But I'm just saying it, it does make it harder to predict health and 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 consistency and all those things uh, when your core is aging, I, I I thought Chris Letang was pretty ordinary in that series against Montreal. I must say, um, yeah, and sure. not much you can do there unless he he wanted out because he's got the full no move. Uh, they got a big decision and goal to make. Uh, Jim Rutherford said probably can't keep both right. Uh, Jerry or Matt Murray has to make up a mind there, and that's. That's not an obvious decision, quite frankly. You're picking between the guy who's won two cups and the guy who had the better year. Um, so it, it is fascinating to me. And, and, and you know, as I tweeted uh, uh, on Tuesday, Scotty, and we might date ourselves here by the time people listen to this, but uh, my understanding is that Jim Rutherford was leaning towards keeping his first-round pick, by the way. And this is not a small story. Uh, the Penguins are at number 15 overall. Um, they traded the rights to a first round pick either this year or next to Minnesota, of course, in the Jason Zucker trade. It looks like they're as of Tuesday, they were leaning towards keeping it and therefore giving Minnesota the 21 first round pick, but that would be unprotected. And so what I understood Tuesday was that Jim Rutherford was going to speak with his director of amateur scouting to get a good feel for this situation before he made a final decision. So maybe the Penguins will pivot and actually decide to do the opposite, but as of Tuesday night, they were leaning towards keeping the pick. And and that's interesting because I I don't know that there's an obvious answer. So in other words, I don't know that you, whatever the answer is, I don't think you can sit there and say, well, that's a terrible decision. I, I don't think you know, except that if the Penguins don't bounce back next year, 
and actually regress more, is there a danger of having given away a lottery pick? So I don't know. I, I mean, that's that's kind of an under the radar one that uh, bears monitoring there. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because we've seen sort of in, in real time, we've seen, you alluded to it, right? I mean, time runs out for all these teams in the cap area. We ran out on the LA Kings and, and now they've, you know, in some ways have, have bottomed out. I, you know, now are they ready to rise? I'm, I'm not sure. Is the bottom, you know, is the bottom still there? But the the Chicago Blackhawks are a fascinating story for me. And you wrote about it. I just thought it was inter- so interesting. You talked to Stan Bowman because, you know, he, both he and Mark Bergevin, the GM, of the two 12th seed teams that uh, pulled off the upsets in the first round. Um, you know, they, they, they've they been under intense pressure in their respective markets. Uh, there have been some questionable decisions, no question about it. But that Chicago team, they have three or four players who are just terrific young assets. Some of them, I think of Kirby Doc, for instance, who really seem to uh, make terrific use of that four-and-a-half-month pause in coming back. I thought he was excellent uh, against Edmonton, uh, Kubalik. Uh, you know, you go down that list of, of terrific young players to bring Cat. Um, and yet, so here's Chicago. I don't think they'll beat Vegas, but it's almost like they have had like a mini renaissance, like in the middle of their rebuild, still with Jonathan Taze, who was so good in that series against Edmonton, Patrick Kane, Duncan Keith. You know, I don't think Pittsburgh has those. They haven't they haven't sunk, so they don't have those young players coming. So and, and maybe that's right. just the the inevitable track that they need to sink further. So I was happy to write that piece because. First of all, let's be honest, when John McDonough was fired as Blackhawks president in late April, there were people around the league wondering what it meant for Stan Bowman. Um, because had there not been a pandemic and not been a pause, it would have been uh, you know another year out of the playoffs as Stan Bowman continued to retool this roster and make it much younger. But it's clear, uh, not only from my conversation with Stan Bowman, but also our colleague Scott Powers, who covers the Blackhawks, and his interview with interim president Danny Wirtz, that Danny Wirtz and Stan Bowman have kind of hit it off, which is important. And I think that they see, they share a vision for where this is headed for this team. And, and so I think that is probably uh, going to bring some stability to, to Stan Bowman's position with the Blackhawks there. And, and I think it's deserved, frankly. They're the youngest team in the 2014 tournament, and they made the playoffs now. And they're going to lose to Vegas. I don't think there's any debate on that. But the experience that that young roster is getting by having upset Edmonton and getting to play a team that could win the Cup in Vegas now is unbelievable uh, mileage for all those young players on the Blackhawks. It's nothing but... it. You know, it's like Montreal in a way, although the Hawks are much younger, is that... As someone else said to me from another organization when I was asking them about what all this means for Montreal and Chicago, when you go into your off-season meetings, the way those meetings would have sounded without the pause, without the return to play, you would have been asking, are, are, is this going the right way if you're Mark Bergeron or Stan Bowman? You, you know, because you would have missed the playoffs and people are, are on you. And now you got invited to a tournament that you didn't deserve to get invited to, but you pull off the upset and now your kids, you know, in Munchal's case, you know, Suzuki, Kakaniemi, are getting all this experience. You, your outlook for your program and, and your path for this team completely changed because of something as arbitrary as the league decided to go to 24 teams. But, but they took advantage of it. Credit the Hawks and the Habs for saying, we're not just going to show up. 
because we got, got dragged into a fight we weren't supposed to be at, we're going to do something with it. And I think it's a, a wonderful story. I'm with you. And I, I like I got I'm sorry, I got zero sympathy for Edmonton, zero sympathy for Pittsburgh. Florida should have been much better. Uh, I, I just think I, I'm with you. I, I, I say kudos to the teams that came and and I don't you know, Arizona's in the mm-hmm. same boat, probably, you know, you know, definitely, you know, wasn't as big an underdog situation against Nashville. But, you know, and, and those teams that couldn't get the job done. You know, it is time for soul searching. And we've already seen in Pittsburgh now changes there. We've seen changes in Florida. I expect there'll be changes in Nashville. Um, and you're right. that It'll be fascinating to see whether teams like Arizona, Montreal, Chicago, whether they can build on this. And so next year, and if we can get the full 82 games in, you know, do they suddenly, you know, are, are they are they at a completely mm-hmm. different place than we thought they well, would well, be? Well, so this, is the, this is, before we go, this is the funny thing about the five-month layoff, right? Let's say there is no pandemic, and boy, wouldn't that be nice. Let's say everything had played out normally, and the Hawks and the Habs, you know, miss out. Uh, they come back again with their younger and younger rosters. You know, the Habs are going to bring in, you know, Romanoff next year. If you and I were doing a podcast next November in a normal year and the season was one month in and the Habs and the Hawks were among the early season surprises as their programs continued, you, you would have been shocked, right? It, it would have been a talking point, but you wouldn't. Sure. The point is, how much of this return to play is half picking up where we left off, but half some teams taking advantage of the way things would have looked next year for them. That's what's fascinating to me about a five-month layoff. Are we still into this season? We are technically, I know. But in the actual arc of a lot of programs, are we still into this season or are we half into next year? And, and that's fascinating to me. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I just think the whole, you know, what happens between now and, and October and the award, you know, the Stanley Cup final is going to be fascinating. I mean, we've already seen epic five overtime you know, game to start the first round. So who knows what happens on the ice? But you're right that the the accelerated process, the calendar being compressed, and all those kinds of things. It, it does. It it's going to change how teams approach things and how and how the game's going to look to us. I you know I mean, yeah, I'm I'm with you. Of course, you you wish that we were, you know. You, we should be, we were in in our off season now, but it, it's not the way it's happened, and so now it's going to be fascinating to see what the new reality is going to be, even beyond this summer. So, uh, all right, before we let uh, before we go, I want to ask you what what is there a series that you're like, oh, you know, maybe I can't wait to see this, or this series is going is going to tell me a lot about somebody or a team what are you looking forward to in this first round i think boston carolina is is the series that fascinates me the most next to columbus tampa and i i didn't want to go to columbus tampa because we just got up they had this amazing five overtime game but of course the whole revenge thing with tampa and the fact that the lightning no matter what they say publicly really did alter their lineup to some degree because of what happened against columbus last year right we've talked about this from maroon to uh, Coleman, to Goudreau, to Bogosian, they got heftier. They got grittier to surround their all-world offensive talent. And it's funny because I wonder if Kyle Dubas in Toronto sits back and, and depending on Tampa's success in these playoffs, is there a path there for Kyle Dubas with his Leafs to look at what Julian Breezebois did in the last you know 14 months? So that series is compelling for obvious reasons. But Boston-Carolina, I think, is going to be dynamic. And I, I can't tell, I mean, Brad Marchand referring to the round robin as preseason games. Uh, you know, I can't tell 
if the ruins are just gonna, you know, flip the flip the light on, uh, you know, just put the switch on and, and get going. I, you have to believe that they can, given everything they've accomplished. But I don't know that there's a team looking as good after a qualifying round as the Carolina Hurricanes. So that series to me has seven written all over it, and I can't wait to watch it. I'm with you. Uh, yeah, it's it's exciting, and it's always it's so great to get you. You know, you're back. I feel like back in the rhythm with you. It's terrific. Um, now, listen, if you you got some other pod listening time available, you should uh, check out this week's uh, full sixty at the Athletic with uh, Craig Custance. He's got Judd Moldaver on, uh, rising young agent who's. Stable includes Austin Matthews, Roman Yossi, and Carter Hart of the Philadelphia Flyers. So you should check that out. Uh, You should also check out Two Man Advantage minus the one man uh, every other morning. My, so Monday, Tuesday. My, my lawyers are still getting in touch come. with their lawyers about that. Yeah, no, I'm waiting to... That's why I'm still in the closet, Yeah, and I, I refuse to be served. So, uh, And if, listen, if any morning you want to get on, you know, we do it first thing. You, you feel like it, just right. let me know. Uh, but every... You, you should check this out. We, uh, we do a quick hit in the mornings. Uh, previewing the day's events, what happened overnight, that kind of stuff. And finally, Billy Guerin, GM of the Minnesota Wild, another GM who I don't think, uh, who learned at the knee of Jim Rutherford in Pittsburgh. I don't think Bill Guerin will be uh, resting on any kind of laurels after the uh, Wild's four-game loss to Vancouver. He joins Mike Russo this week on Straight from the Source at The Athletic. And you should always check out our comments section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. So thank you, Pierre. And we'll do it again next week, my friend. Right on, right on. Right on.